Trenches. Welcome to Reality Check, a podcast for accountants, hosted by Shay Thaya and Rebecca Mahalik. In this podcast, we dive deep into important topics and moments worth celebrating in the accounting industry. This show is brought to you by From the Trenches, Real Life in Accounting. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Reality Check with Shay and Beck. My name is Shay Thaya. I'm head of accounting at Intuit. And as always, joined by the lovely Rebecca Mahalik. How are you, Beck? I'm good. How are you today, Shay? Not bad. Not bad for a Monday. The sun is out in Adelaide. We're very excited. Sunscreening up because just need to be careful. The winter skin is not going to cope, but very, very happy. Something genuine about that sad condition, seasonal. I'm going to get it wrong, but like you feel sad when the weather is sad. Yeah, oh. I get that. Oh. Amazing. What, gee, it's been a big few weeks. I finally made plans to come to Sydney and you're not even going to be there. So I'm heartbroken. (laughs) That's okay. I'm getting out of the house. This is good stuff. But I've been thinking and I was hoping that we could talk today about talent because one of my favorite things to do in the whole wide world is see other humans grow. And this is going to make me sound like a total grandma, but like honestly, growing my humans, growing humans in my team is one of my favorite things to do. And that's literally the thing that lights me up. But I know that there's so many firms that are struggling with their talent, a lot of sort of headline challenges that we've got at the moment. And I've also been kind of rounding around this idea of, because I tend to fall into overwhelm pretty quickly because I'm a fixer and I like to try and save the world, which doesn't really actually end up helping anybody. It just burns me out. So I've been thinking a lot about how do we ground around the things that we can influence, the things that we have control over? And we acknowledge those big, hard things as well. But by doing that and making this sort of little focus light, I need a diagram here. I'm drawing a diagram with my hands. Of course, no one can see me. But if we do that, then we can have some great outcomes. So yeah, two reasons. One is incredibly self-serving. And I just want to say this out loud. And this is not meant to be a plug at all, not at all. I'm speaking at Accountants Daily Strategy Day coming up all about the great resignation and reset or reset, something like that. And there's so many things that I could talk about in that session. And I, please don't think this is silly, Beck. And I know you would slap me if I was next to you, but I've genuinely got the fear. I think when I moved into tech, my biggest fear was that I would lose my relevance because I'm not working in practice anymore. And that if I lose my relevance, I'll lose my credibility. Accountants and bookkeepers won't be interested in what I've got to say anymore. And so I'd actually lose my impact. And so I'm having a bit of a moment, (laughs) bloody imposter syndrome, I tell you, but I'm having a bit of a moment of vulnerability. So I thought what better way to help me prepare for a really meaningful session than to ask the experts, which is you, <laughs> but that's not my primary objective today, but it will definitely help me. So Beck, will you help me? Absolutely. And actually it's good timing, Shay, because it's definitely something that is of concern in our industry. At the beginning of the year, again, not being self-serving or a little bit self-serving, at the beginning of the year I went on roadshow with BGL 
And I did these talks all around the evolution of accountants. And so we're not talking about the tech and we're not talking about our clients and all that stuff. But the fact that accountants, the people coming up through the ranks, their needs, wants, and how they function has completely changed, particularly over the last 20 years, even more over the last 10 years. We keep blaming it on COVID, but that's very short-sighted of us. It's not just COVID. We are dealing with a whole range of different issues, a different generation. Everything's different now and we need to actually meet that need or we're going to end up doing all the work ourselves at the top level because we're not changing to find the right people in our teams. Yeah. Beck, do you believe in the great resignation? I don't know that I believe in the great resignation in the way that it's currently being displayed. Again, because I don't believe it's COVID-driven, not in our industry anyway. I can definitely see it in other industries. I don't think it's COVID that's driving it. So that's why I think I don't believe in the current rhetoric around the great resignation, but I definitely believe that the accounting industry, not that it ever had amazing sex appeal, but it definitely doesn't have any at the moment. Like there's nothing there. And even us, the way that we talk about it and the vibes that we're putting out in there, accountants are overwhelmed, we're exhausted, we're not getting paid enough, all these things. Who would want to go through that? I had a conversation with my husband on the weekend about what the kids are going to do when they leave school. I'm like, oh my God, they can't be accounted. Now that's terrible because I actually love what I do, but I'm so concerned about the stress and the pressure. So we all just need to change a little bit to make our industry more attractive. But I don't think it's some big, great resignation. I think it's been a slow decline into the place that we are now that ended up ramping up a little bit when we shut our borders. Yeah, I hear you. I agree. My thoughts around this are, heck yes, I agree. I believe in the great resignation. But in my opinion, it's more like a bunch of people saying, F this, like, They've had this reality check, I've done it again. Gosh, this is getting weird. They've like COVID created this situation where everyone sort of not had the space, but had this moment of thinking about things that are real, you know, thinking about their life. It's scary. We didn't know whether this thing was going to come in and like wipe us all out or what that looked like. And right alongside of that, we weren't allowed to go out. Everything, our world became really, really small. And so I guess for accountants, generally getting paid less than a hundred grand to deal with panicking small businesses and any new compliance or support that the ATO put out day and night, putting up with a firm that puts more effort into figuring out ways to maintain their rigor around micromanagement rather than, you know, while everyone's locked at home, rather than thinking about the mental health and the humans that work in their team, that on top of pretty much forever, as you say, this sort of, you know, there's been a a pretty definitive lead up to this moment. It's almost like there's just been this catalyst that's created this circumstance, you know, always feeling like you're a cog in an engine with no face and no name and no feelings for like ever. And then working like a dog pretty much to maybe take on a second mortgage for the privilege of becoming a partner. But of course, only if you're a dude. And mostly working without thanks to make sure that the six or seven white blokes that run the firm can send their kids to private school and play golf with the boys club and otherwise work on their status. So I kind of feel like all of these things have rolled up into a big fat ball. And during COVID, we're just going, do you know what? F this. 
So I kind of framed the great resignation like that. And look, disclaimer, I know not all firms work this way and it's not like this for everybody, but I certainly resonate with that kind of idea growing up in practice. So when I think about the great resignation, that they're the kind of things that sort of come to me. And it makes me really sad because I, like you, love what I do. I think we are absolute superheroes as accountants. I think we're completely underrecognized by the business community generally and in the context of what we do to support the economy. Much to your amazing thought leader acceptance speech, you're absolutely right. We sort of hold the things together. So it does, the great resignation upsets me, but I totally get it. Like I totally understand. I mean, I did it, not during COVID necessarily, but I was like, yeah. no. But you didn't do it during COVID. You left well before COVID. So this Mm. is probably leaning more into my point. COVID Mm. sure has created a worse environment, but it absolutely wasn't COVID. And you've left and you're in tech now and I've got like a slight foot in there and there's lots of people who do that. But I just probably want to chuck out just like a smart ass little warning to the tech companies. Stop stealing the accountants because you won't have any accountants left to sell to. (laughs) so right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Already. I, I know, but it just adds so much value. <laughs> Only if they listen to Shay. <laughs> How do we actually address this? Let's like dump yeah. You put together some great points, which I was looking at, and I think they're fantastic. And they're probably things that we're already doing at Business Depot, but I have my experience, you have your experience, they're both a little bit different. Mm. So you started talking to me this morning a little bit about punishing your team for trauma that you carry. Now, I don't know that I would phrase things quite like that, but I understand what you mean because this is all coming down to not doing everything the way that we always did it. Yeah, that's right. And I think we've got some pretty big headline stuff that we're all trying to navigate in terms of how we attract and retain talent you know, our graduate numbers have been declining for years and it's not necessarily because of all those nasty things that I rattled off about the great F, yes. F, no, F, the great F, this, I should say. God, <laughs> can't get my M's right today. But there's that, you know, obviously there's a huge impact. The pandemic had a huge impact around our, the skilled migration that we can access. But something else, and I don't want to upset my friends in the space, but, you know, I also think we've sort of come to this point as well where many firms have invested in offshore resources and done amazingly well in balancing the firm, making sure they're contributing to profitability and still having amazing outcomes and all of that. But I suspect my opinion, my opinion is what we haven't done is concurrently invest in fast-tracking our onshore team at the same time. And so we have this senior accountant drought because we've got that gap now, right? So I just don't hear that talked about a lot. We talk, I saw maybe at the start of the year, I saw a couple of brave articles about it, but I think, I don't know, it just feels a little bit, I don't know, are we not supposed to talk about that? Because I think it's a real thing. Look, this is actually something that I do talk about. And when I think back through what's the traditional progression in accounting firm? So you leave high school, get your accounting degree, you get an entry-level role at a firm, you work like a dog, desperately trying to prove yourself. Well, this is what we did. This is not what they do anymore, by the way. Um, you do your postgrad program, you become a CA or a CPA, you work nine to five in the office or nine to nine or eight to eight or seven to seven or whatever it is to actually get all the stuff done. You- Thanks to Ada for supporting this episode of Reality Check. 
Ada's AI platform helps accountants scale advisory services across your entire client base. Using their technology will allow anyone in your team to have meaningful data-driven conversations, allowing you to increase your revenue and deliver quality advice that your clients actually need. Ada's AI system can automatically detect and notify you of upcoming cash flow falls and unexpected tax bills. Sign up for a free trial of Ada today so that you're one step closer to offering great advice to all of your clients. You decide you want to have client interaction, so you build out a client base, you work your way up through the ranks, you take out a massive mortgage, you become a partner. Maybe, maybe, not everybody gets to do that, but some people do, or you start your own firm and then you retire. And then it's a flip of the dice, whether or not you can actually get someone to buy you out for what it's worthwhile, or you might retire with what you think is an amazing asset, but no one's interested in it because your client base is old and crusty like you and nobody wants it. So this is where we're at. And then you haven't been investing in your team to properly have someone there to actually buy you out or take over and move on slowly. So that's like the environment I grew up in and what I'm trying desperately to change in my own story because you're right, there's just no senior accountant. So we've dialed it all the way back here at Business Depot and I'm employing undergrads. I've got so many desks in my office at the moment that are only part-time filled because they're filled with undergrads. Because we want to teach them that accounting is still cool and still fun early on. And it's a fantastic opportunity because at least in Sydney, there's not a lot of part-time professional roles available. So if you're at university and you don't want to work in a bar, you don't want to work at McDonald's, or you don't want to work at, you know, Portman's or wherever it is that you don't want to work at, but you actually want to get experience in a professional firm, but you don't want to have to do uni part-time, you still want to do it full-time, there's not lots of opportunities. So we've just chucked it out there. I've even got someone working only two days a week just to get them in here, to teach them, to get them in love with the industry, to make them understand what it is and the great stuff that we do. And it's a really different environment because that is so hard to find those roles. And it's making a huge difference. The undergrad applicants I've had in the last two months have been the best applicants I've had for accounting roles probably in five years. Amazing. More firms should do that. I started as an undergrad. I remember distinctly. I applied for, because I worked in hospitality my entire sort of uni life and I loved, I actually loved hospitality so much. And there's many days where I get so cranky. I'm like, F this, I'm just going to go and make some coffees because do you know what? People smile at me, they're friendly and they appreciate my work. Not that no one else appreciates my work, but you know, you just have a moment. I'm like, I just want to go back to making coffees. But I hear you. And I remember it was really, really tricky because you've got to juggle, right? And at that point, there wasn't like remote uni learning and stuff like this. Like I'm pretty old team, let's let's be honest. And that was tricky. And I remember starting at Perks and I was so grateful for the opportunity to actually be able to work in the profession that I wanted to go into while I was still learning. That said, I had to finish my last year of uni full-time, working full-time, and it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, I love what you're yeah. doing. And I had to do the same thing, which is why I'm trying to be more flexible because ridiculous. I had a job. I was actually not in public practice when I was at uni straight away. I was doing corporate accounting and I was working for a media company right near my uni. And I used to do my tutorials at uni during my lunch breaks. So I would go down and I would do I had to take one of my classes on a Friday night. Like that's just rubbish. Doing accounting subjects on a Friday night to fit in that around my work. And I sort of dropped down and I did this like kind of like three quarter time course because I really didn't want it taking forever part time and picked up 
summer school and did what I could to get through. But I don't want to put that kind of pressure on the people who are working for me because that's just a really rubbish way to live. And I look back and I'm like, I missed out on so much of that really exciting university experience because I was busting my gut working. Yeah. And I think maybe talking about trauma was like a little bit, I think maybe our friend David is rubbing off on us a little bit, you know, I did sensationalist headlines, but I think what I see and what I've experienced and when I think about the way I approach things and then sense check is what did I go through that I didn't like that I still might lean into as the way it should be done. And I think the most, the one that kind of stands out to me now, and I'd love your sort of take on this because I know it's tricky is this idea that when new people come into the firm that they have to earn the right to work flexibly or they have to earn our trust first. And I'm incredibly challenged by this. I actually feel so strongly in my belly about this because I used to work with a person that this was like, you know, their thing. And I distinctly remember it flying out of his mouth of, I was never allowed to blah, so these millennials can just eat it. And I thought, wow, what a massive missed opportunity. I personally feel like if we are not open to that discussion around flexibility right now, then count yourself out of the talent race. I'm sorry. That is the first thing. I know that might be Captain Obvious. I should have saved that for later. But, (laughs) you know, I just think that is the thing. And I know there's balance between having team culture and coming together and having that sense of community. But I just feel so strongly and it's like an allergic reaction to me. This person is coming to you. They are a human. They're not a child. I know they might be 10 or 15 years younger than the person that's hiring them, but they have the right to go about their business and demonstrate that they're effective. They shouldn't have to cross some special line that says, okay, now you might get to, you know, produce a business case to work from home once a week if it suits you. I just, gee, it really razzes me up. And there was a LinkedIn post last week, I think, Tara Fitness. She's not in fitness, but I thought, cool name. So she is the CEO of Introvert Agency, which is a digital marketing agency. She had this huge post and she called everybody to sort of normalize some things that apparently are taboo. And I thought, gosh, this kind of is a little bit awkward in the accounting industry, but normalize things like getting to work and leaving work on time, not answering your calls and your emails and your slacks and your WhatsApps and all of that outside of work time, normalizing, letting staff work flexibly, including working from home, which we just sort of gloss over, but I know there is still plenty of firms that are dragging people kicking and screaming back into the office and allowing team to ground around accountability for their output, not for their being seen to do a thing and definitely firing micromanagers. Now, I think that last one might be a stretch in the accounting industry because it's going to be a long time before we can work that out. But it just kind of landed with me that we need to treat the people we hire like the adults that they are. Yes, I agree with a lot of what you've said, but I also come at it from the 
business owner point of view. So it's tricky. Everything is a little bit tricky. And because I've dialed all the way back to undergrads, which is not necessarily what we're talking about here. They don't know anything. And they are still children. Some of them haven't even turned 20 yet. Like I've got one person who works for me who can't legally drink alcohol yet. So they are young, (laughs) slightly different. Uh, But this whole I don't have expectations on my team unless we are desperately busy and it's a massive project and depending on who it is, they work their work hours. That's it. They work their work hours. You know, their performance is based on their output, which is why even though we are fully fixed fee, timesheets is still a thing. I hate them. We all hate them. I really, really, really hate them. I don't like doing them. I'm the worst one in the team for it. But that is, it's important because the timesheets will show us things, not how much necessarily their billable hours are, but where are they struggling? You know, what don't they understand? Are they repeatedly taking too long doing FBT returns because they have no idea what they're doing? This is one of the ways that you can monitor it without just staring at them or yelling at them while they're working. It can be done from home, but we still do absolutely not let everybody work from home all the time. There's a lot of reasons for it, but we also let people work from home and it depends on the personality as well. Some people do really well at home. I don't. I actually don't work well at home that's me. That's my personality. I get my energy from people. So I will always work better in the office. That is at the detriment of other people because I'm phenomenally disruptive. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We all get along. I don't have an office. There's no one in the team anymore who has an office either. We all just work out in a big open space. And there's so many advantages to doing that when the team are in, because there is this, it's not just about the culture. It's about the learning that occurs in hearing overhearing other people's conversations. When I think back about the more pleasant times of me growing up in firms, I enjoyed listening to those seniors around me having a conversation and being able to understand how they're troubleshooting something. Like that being able to bounce off someone else is really great. There were lots of barriers that were put up during COVID when the whole team worked from home. We were still very effective in what we did. We lost that ability to communicate well with each other because you didn't have the visual where you could see whether or not someone was working or stuck in something. So you were potentially constantly interrupting people on Slack or being ignored and then getting frustrated because those visual cues went away. But the team at the moment's a bit of a mix. And as much as it might seem a little bit unfair to some of the juniors, it is absolutely based on seniority, but not on the fact that they've earned it. It's just more that they have the skills to be able to self-manage. Mm-hmm. So I don't need them to prove I know that they're working. I trust them. I get it. But some of them just need that extra little bit of learning still in the office. And, you know, I've never forced anyone to put together a huge business case about whether or not they should work from home or it would be better. We can generally see that in advance. And we rolled it out before being asked as well, this more flexible arrangement. So we knew it was important for some people and some people worked better that way during COVID and some worked worse. So we're just trying to build the environments at work for the right people and the right stage of their careers as well. Mm, yeah, I think you make a great point because I distinctly remember those first few months working in my first role and most of what I was asked to do, I literally didn't even understand the words. Like I distinctly remember my manager giving me a pile of paper and saying, can you reconcile this? And I was like, I literally don't know what the next steps are. So I totally hear you. And I think there's such an art in 
honestly, learning how to organize oneself. Like I, this is the thing that I still struggle the most with. So certainly as someone that's new to the profession, new to the workflows, of course, I totally hear you. The other thing I was thinking about is in this context of how we better retain talent. I don't want to talk about attract, but let's just retain, think about retaining some of the amazing humans that we already have in the profession is credit where credit is due. And the reason I say that is because I still see, I mean, I haven't got a like spy cam into every single firm to see how they reward and recognize, right? But in my experience, there's always been this hierarchy of you are here to make me look good. And look, I might have a bit of trauma around that. And this will make sense to a number of people that definitely know what I'm talking about. But I don't actually think that particularly when we're working with Gen Zers, and as we were just having a laugh about, I am technically a millennial. I'm totally okay with that. But there's a piece in there that is free, that lights humans up. And it is literally just, if they do good work, let them own their good work. It's not all for the glory of someone else that is more senior or whatever that looks like. I think it's so simple. And if we could do that better, we would have much more engaged teams and they would feel like they are having an impact, like in a more real way. Absolutely. And yeah, look, I think that that was one of the things that frustrated me the most at points in my career was that I knew how much I was working and what I was producing and whether or not it was good or even whether or not it was a bad job, but I didn't get the credit at times when I desperately wanted it. And for a person like me, that's incredibly frustrating, or at least it was then because I've changed. I've absolutely changed as I've gotten older. And I think that that just comes with, you know, age and role and responsibility and what you want out of what you're doing. But I remember getting so mad when I wasn't given the credit when I did something right, or if I did something wrong, God damn, I was chucked under that bus in two oh, yeah. seconds and I was always a scapegoat, but never the hero. And that was really, really frustrating, which is probably why I like worked so hard at building out my own client base very quickly so that I could have those direct client interactions because, you know, you get to this point where, well, if you're not going to get praised in the workplace, well, then the clients can. And some of the earliest, I don't keep a lot, you know, I'm not a super sentimental person, but I do have these handful of emails from early on in my career where we're like the first bits where a client would thank me for the work that I did or be like, we wouldn't have got here without you. And these are like really early emails from a long time ago. And they're these things that, you know, play play to me and tug at my heartstrings like, oh, that was really sweet. So when I think about that, we have probably too early maybe given our team client access or, you know, they don't manage the relationship, but we let them talk to clients actually quite early on. When it's like emails, we make sure that we're CC'd in just in case there is something that we just need to stick our head in. But they're trained as well to, you know, not overstep don't be afraid to not know something. Like if you don't know, don't answer or just say, I'll come back to you and find out, talk to somebody else on the team. But that client interaction means that they're getting, if we get too busy, they're getting that gratification from at least somewhere because it's lovely to be rewarded and they're doing good jobs and the clients tell them, which is amazing. And I try to, but I also, you know, I am technically a millennial as well, but I identify as Gen X as we had this conversation earlier and I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, 
I missed out on being Gen X by one year. So I've decided I identify as Gen X and went on a bit of a rant a few weeks ago in the office about how Gen X is going to save the world because we're the hardest workers. We're the generation between the baby boomers and the millennials. We're going to, you know, pay all the debt and do all the work and fix everything. And then I was firmly put back in my place when I was told that we weren't doing anything for the environment, which is not true, by the way. I recycle. (laughs) That's excellent. (laughs) Go you. And didn't you tell me earlier as well, I'm allowed to be a Gen Y? (laughs) Gen Y. The the, the, The um, lost the, the lost meat in the sandwich. Yeah. Right. The yeah. lost generation. They deleted Gen Y and made you all millennials. Oh my gosh. And if my dad listens to this, he will laugh so hard because he's like, the difference between you and I being a Gen X and a Gen Y is he, bless him, calls me a tree hugging this, that, woke this, woke that. He loves me and he supports me a lot. Like, gosh, he finds this very amusing. But of course, he's a boomer. So no problems for the boomers. Yeah, say I'm Gen X because I'm fiercely independent and I'm tech savvy, but not tech dependent. Nice. I like it. Yes. I was thinking about, and you definitely know a lot more about this than me, and we hear firms screaming out for skills from their grads and their teams and that skills are the problem and we're not coming out of uni and we're not coming out of CA and CPA, et cetera, with the actual skills to be useful in our firms, there's probably a plethora of things we could talk about. Certainly had from a bookkeeping perspective, there's a lot of work being done around Cert 4 and all that kind of stuff to sort of chunk down the way we get access to the skills that we need to be impactful earlier when we join practice and things like that. There's a couple of things that I was thinking about and certainly things that even the context of my team is that are we not I think that we are one of the fundamental skills that we are lacking in is around EQ, but also around like wellness regulation. What I mean by that is how good are we at setting and maintaining boundaries so that when we show up in our work, we are at our most awesome. And I think people like you and I like, fall over ourselves every second day with this, right? So even we are developing these skill sets or we have skills, we just don't apply them all the time consistently. Like I feel like that's a superpower for people in practice at the moment to not cook themselves so that every day they are the most productive and the most impactful that they can be. Am I being too woo-woo or is that a thing? Uh, Look, it's an interesting thing and it's hard to manage in different circumstances. So I used to think it was only small team that had this problem with, you know, leave your stuff at the door and come in and be the best you can be. But it's not small teams. It's really any teams. It's any team. You know what? To be honest, it's any teams with a good culture. Because when you come in and you are around people that you trust and you care about and you do bring that. And I actually think that it's not so much about me leaving my garbage at the door. It's actually probably a bit about me identifying when somebody else is struggling and having that empathy for them. So working this in a different way. So I'm not putting the onus back on, you know, the person who's struggling to just leave that at home. I would love for them to leave it at home and just come in and work as a business owner when I'm in my, you know, firm Gen X get shit done mindset. But when I'm a real human being and I'm looking at it, I understand that they can't because I don't. So I don't. Even this morning I came in, I had a total meltdown before we did this Zoom and we were doing this podcast and that happens. And 
this is probably what I struggled with the most in my life. This is not my strong suit, but I've had great people around me who probably taught me to be better. John Knight, amazing human being. The fact that I get to work with him, even though we don't work together in the same cities, has really helped me grow in this space because when I'm frustrated and I'm not showing that right level of empathy, he's actually the first person I call to talk through my issues. And he will be a bit like, well, why do you think? And why do you think they're doing that? And he asks those proper why questions. And I've always had good empathy for my clients, but for whatever reason, and I will own this, I have not had great empathy for my team over the years. And that's where I'm trying to work because I identify that is something I need to work on to keep these guys here. Yeah. And well done on your self-awareness. I mean, I've certainly never been on the receiving end of that from you. I don't know if you can hear that, but there's a puppy trying to get in my office. (laughs) I knew it would happen. And it is, it's really tricky. I can see that balance and it, yeah, I certainly resonate with that. It's a blessing and a curse being in a sales leadership role because my natural state is probably the opposite of that is to wrap around everyone. Let's inspire people. Let's, you know, ground in purpose. Let's make sure everyone's really healthy and well. And then let's make sure we're delivering results. (laughs) So it's always push pull. I think there's somewhere in the middle there that's good sort of middle ground. And I would probably say that, well, generally, but certainly my experience growing up in practice is definitely erred on the side of pull your finger out, pull your head in, don't bring that shit to work, like just crack on, which I don't necessarily think is an amazing approach every single day, particularly with the, you know, our teams that are younger than us and they're more sort of, not more emotional, that's not a thing, but They're used to being allowed to be more authentic, which I love. I absolutely love. And I am definitely that person as well. But I hear you. I think there's somewhere in between, which brings us, I think, to our final point around how do we do better at retaining amazing team members, amazing humans in our profession? And it also is a kind of a nice segue into Captain Obvious, which you pointed out earlier. But I think can we, especially as leaders and senior people in practice, can we just be a good human that's leading good humans? And where this comes from me is a long history of values stuck on the wall that mean nothing, of leaders that strut the halls with their own set of values that aren't pulled into line by like they should if you you know if you're an organization that has values that you believe in and you ground around there are consequences for not being aligned with those values I think we still have more of that than is useful and I certainly feel like that's low-hanging fruit standing in the way of retaining really good people in our industry. I just don't think it's that hard to solve. No, it absolutely is. You're a captain obvious. I mean, if you're a good person, good people will stay. And look, actually, they don't always. And sometimes people will move on and that's okay because you'll attract more good people. And I think that that's actually part of why we've had such great luck hiring in the last few months, you know, properly out of COVID in Sydney, I joined Business Depot just before lockdowns effectively. I mean, it wasn't just before, it was like August 2019 and what we went into our first lockdown in January 2020. So 
you know, we didn't really get, or February, whatever it was, we didn't get a long time to really lean on that brand. And even though Aptus itself had a great brand, Business Depot and the culture and that doing good things is really quite at the front of what we project out into the community because it's real. Like I have, and it's at all levels, what the recent director's retreat, I looked around this room of so many people and I like every single person in that room. And I don't think that happens. I really don't think that happens in big accounting firms where you will look around and you like all your partners. And those that do have it, amazing. But we have, I don't know how many now, like 15 partners, maybe more. And I like every single one of them. They're all good humans. We all get along. We are respectful. And that is from the head down. And this is like absolutely obvious. Be a good human, treat people well, and you will do better in business. And I can't believe that this is a thing that we haven't learned. I mean, didn't I figure that out in the industrial revolution or something? Like, honestly, <laughs> Were we born? No. <laughs> no, we weren't born. No, no, no. no, no. And I, I think the key thing that you said there is from the head down. And as much as I, you know, can spout theory about hierarchical structures and how I don't like them, I think within that context of what have we got? What can we control? What can we influence now? How can we do better now without trying to save the world in one big breath? I think that is so important. So in the context of being a good human that leads good humans, that human is so critical. And I also adore John and I just can see his sort of personality and approach that sort of permeates all the way through your business. Um, so happy for you that you have amazing partners around you. As someone actually said to me on Friday, would you ever go back into practice? And I was like, standard, hell no. But when I hear things like that, I think maybe there's a hope. <laughs> oh, well, that was a nice segue into Captain Obvious. Actually, that was your Captain Obvious. That was my Captain way. Obvious. That's what I've got. <laughs> yeah, nice. I had one additional Captain Obvious to wrap us up today. And I wasn't sure if it was Captain Obvious or Grind My Gears, which is a segment that my husband does on his podcast, but it just got him, made me angry. So our mate Phil King from Accountants Daily wrote about how the Administrative Appeals Tribunal denied a whole bunch of deductions for a particular taxpayer, slapped this person with a whole bunch of penalties. (laughs) Old mate in court actually admitted that he knew that the person delivering the seminar was not a tax agent. This is where I got to Captain Obvious because I was like, okay, well, it's Captain Obvious that you don't follow tax advice from someone who's not qualified because it's likely to end in tears. But it made me so mad. This guy goes on to say, of course I knew this person delivering the seminar wasn't qualified because tax agents wouldn't understand this kind of approach because it's traditional tax accounting. Oh, I'm sorry, traditional tax accounting, that's legal, that's compliant with legislation. And it made me so mad and it's probably a bit triggering for me because a friend of mine almost blew up her husband in a similar similar circumstance. So he goes off to work overseas and some random human told him that it would be tax-free. And so he's got in his mind all these, you know, dollar signs coming out, you know, he's he's already counting his fat stacks of cash. And clearly neither of these humans understood, you know, the concept of tax residency. So the wife's a CA and she said, clearly, this is definitely taxable. You're going to have to save your cash. So when you do your tax return, you're going to have to pay your tax, blah, blah, blah. But he was absolutely adamant. He's on the phone to the ATO, you know, asking 
you know, curated question. So it gets the answer that is after. And she even got a statement of advice from BDO, which supported her position and was like, it was captain obvious. It was taxable. Move on. Anyway, so he comes home, doesn't save the money for his tax. He's still convinced that it's going to be tax free, gets busted by the ATO for not lodging his tax return, gets slapped with a default assessment of like a gazillion dollars. And all I can say, sucked in sucker. Do not take tax advice from someone that is not qualified. Yeah, Yeah, that's my Captain Obvious for today. Yeah, and it's actually scary how much that happens. I mean, this concept of at the pub and at the barbecue and all of these things, at the hairdresser, whatever it is, I've been at the hairdresser and I've heard people giving each other tax advice while I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not even going to get involved. You can just bury yourselves. I don't give a shit anymore. Like, it's why we're here and why we don't charge enough money. Yeah, I think it'll come a bit full circle, like just lots of compliance activity, obviously, with the ATO, and so they should. This kind of stuff is so silly. Anywho, that's us today, Beck. It is. It is. Have a wonderful week. We will see each other soon, I'm sure of it. Absolutely. We have accounting awards to see each other at. Of course, I've got my dress ready. Everything is ready. Very exciting. That's go. That's going to be a shock to my system. Lots of people in the room. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Have a great week, listeners. Have an amazing week. We will see you next time. Bye. Thank you again to all of our fabulous listeners. Beck and I would absolutely love to hear from you. We would love your ideas, your feedback, all of it bring it you can find me on twitter at shay thyer that's s-h-a-y-e-t-h-y-e-r and on linkedin shay thyer and you can find me at linkedin and twitter at rebecca mahalik which is r-e-b-e-c-c-a-m-i-h-a-l-i-c have a great day from the trenches 